know, I wanted to start off talking about an artist we briefly mentioned last week, TX2. Like this uh, Zoomer who's bringing emo back. But once I actually started digging into who he is and where the music comes from, I think it's more interesting to talk about like the the way he gets views on his videos and who's helping him produce it and stuff than it is to actually listen to it. Because like, it's bad, but it's not as bad as I was thinking it was going to be where... It's just generic, like emo circa 2004 or something, you know, like it's even like his, his, um, TikTok skits and Instagram skits and stuff are a lot more annoying than his actual songs where his songs are just kind of like, there's a couple of them that sound like Blink-182. There's a couple that are just trying to sound like, I don't know, My Chemical Romance or something like Black Fail Brides. Yeah. To- falling that's, in that's a more accurate thing. Yeah. That's totally it. A lot of stuff from that era. Yeah. So it's like it's not really that amusing to listen to his music because it's produced surprisingly well. And it's yeah, just it kind of been like, on MTV too. Yeah. It could, the Back quality when I was watching it, MTV too. Yeah. Uh, and so there's an interesting story behind that. And that's what I've become interested in instead. I kind of started digging into it. You know, I was watching his YouTubes and stuff. I, I assumed he wasn't popular because his Twitter has 2000 followers, but on YouTube, a lot of his songs have like half a million to a million plays. And he has like respectable numbers on like Spotify instagram youtube like a handful of places you know and so it's interesting he's neither like an industry plant nor a diy artist he's like an interesting youtube kind of creation that's only emerged in the last decade you know um yeah he did say something about people accusing him of being an industry plant and i see why people would say that it's almost sometimes people They see someone with a super proactive booker and producer and agent yeah. who's getting them on a bunch of shit and they're all over the place and they assume it must be from within the industry, but it's not really. It's just yeah, they're getting into the industry in a way that people might find annoying or intrusive, but it is... It's sort it of is, coming from uh, a genuine it's place. It's technically organic. Yeah, it's like... He has professional videographers and producers and stuff through YouTube and people who've found him like I can I'm going to go into this a little bit more in a minute but it is interesting of like the industry completely ignores him just like anything else in that world like just like podcasts too where no one writes articles about like E1 or whatever but we don't need them to you know and he's kind of the same way this type of YouTube music where no one's ever going to review his album anywhere and yet he gets like millions of plays yeah it's more of a TikTok type of way to blow up yeah it's honestly it's kind of, I think I have to at least partly respect it, you know? So it was like when I was trying to figure out, when I was watching his YouTube videos, I was like, he clearly doesn't have a real band because you look in the credits and he lists like some of the credits and the guitar player is different on a bunch of these different songs and the drummer will be different sometimes. And I'm like, so clearly it's just like studio and session musicians and stuff. Um, and then I realized the most consistent thing is the producer. And the producer is always this guy named Joey Barba who doesn't have a Wikipedia. His Instagram is locked. Um, There's like almost nothing about him online. I found his official website that just has one paragraph about him. Uh, I found his all music where it claims he worked with Alex G. And I was like, what the fuck? There's no way this guy worked with Alex G. So I looked it up and it's this other random woman named Alex G. Who's a YouTube person who she has a a Megan Trainer cover with over a million views. And so it's just a coincidence. It's not like the Alex G that people know. So even more so than these artists, I think I have to produce, I have to respect this guy for being like the Max Martin of a bunch of shitty YouTube artists. Like it's hard to like count up all his shit, but he claims on his website that his artists have over 200 million YouTube plays and hundred million Spotify plays. And I would believe it 
Because even TX2 has like many millions, you know? I don't know if I believe that. Well, even even if he's exaggerating, there's still some grain of... Like, he probably makes a living off of it, I would say, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But did he do anything with Demi Lovato? It says in his bio, Barba Sauce. I guess that's his... His name is Joey Barba, and that's his his URL and also his name that he uses yeah. in his bio. Barbasauce has gained worldwide success producing music for some of YouTube's biggest music artists. He's amassed over 200 million plays on YouTube and over 100 million on Spotify alone. He's also produced for a plethora of artists, including Demi Lovato, Jason Derulo, Parachute, Busted, Lindsey Sterling, Allison Stoner, just to name a few. And then you go down to his work and... You do not see Demi Lovato or Justin Derulo. Yeah. Or just Jason Derulo. There is a Wait, there is a Jason Derulo song. Let's see. This is this is someone covering or no, is he on this? Okay, here it is. It's here's the thing. It's by a guy named Tyler Ward and it features Jason Derulo. And it's an acoustic song. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah he so did work like, on that. It has two million plays. Like it's like respectable, you know? That seems like the majority of what his stuff is like he also produced an an ed sheeran cover for another guy and i don't see ed sheeran in that no so i think i assume that's what the demi lovato thing is it's someone who covered demi lovato just like the alex g woman covering uh megan trainer but what's interesting on here is that he had a stint as an artist called lil moss x yeah in 2019 December 2019, where he was Lil Moss X, as in Christmas, and he did a song called Mary X Moss, Lil Moss X featuring Santa, and it's him singing and rapping about Christmas, yeah, and it only got so 13,000 views. It's yeah. supposed to be a parody of Old Town Road. Yeah, and he only has 200 subscribers on that account. Like it's yeah, When he tries to do his own music, it doesn't really go anywhere. And the comments are turned off. And it's got this weird video where it's this guy and his face is edited over a baby in a manger. Yeah. And like a, a kid in pajamas and all this Christmas imagery. And it's it's just very weird. It's uh, It reminds me a, a lot of the guy who made Rebecca Black Friday. Yeah, totally. That's another guy who's like, he's competent enough. He can produce a track. He knows what he's doing, sort of. Yeah, the music is he, very well produced. Like it's slick and clean and it sounds good, even if the songs are shitty. Yeah, like he yeah, he's definitely a better producer than that guy, but he still has like a little bit of a goofy idea of what should go viral or what's yeah. funny to put in a music video. Totally. And that gets back to the TX2 guy where his social media presence is unbearable. And then his music is just like Black Veil Brides or the other things you were saying of like, oh, I remember what this is like from 20 years ago. It's not particularly bad. Like I wouldn't listen to it, but it's not like it's terrible. It, it succeeds at being what it wants to be. But then you go on his social media account and it's, and it's just like, everyone hates me for telling the truth. RT, if you agree or whatever, you know, like just the most obnoxious engagement bait. Would you say that this is left-wing Tom McDonald? I, that was exactly what I was thinking earlier, actually, of uh, I was I was looking at his Instagram and there's a bunch of people commenting being like, Whoever your handlers are need to stop telling you to do 20 skits per song because it's obviously not working for you to do 20 skits about like trans rights, about your stupid like emo song. But at the end of the day, it's better for him to do things about trans rights than for people to listen to Tom McDonald. So like, who am I to complain, you know? Yeah, I can't really get mad about it because he is. I do agree with him politically, but like, here's a tweet, for example, this is from a couple days ago. 
Rock music is back for Gen Z, and this is the anthem they needed. If you'd blast it, blow this up. And then he forgets to link the song. <laughs> or no, it's a video. It's oh, a clip. Okay. And it's him in a tree. Uh, and he says, I fucked every Jenner that's under the sun. They say there's only two, but I counted 21. God, it's just and so all the, the hashtags on it are hashtag rock, hashtag rock and roll, hashtag emo, hashtag punk, hashtag punk rock, hashtag rock music, hashtag music, hashtag LGBT, <laughs> hashtag pride, pansexual, pan, bi, LGBTQ, gender, and genders. And uh, another one, um, where is it? New TX2 song drops at midnight. Tomorrow, who's ready to piss off some old religious douchebags? Yeah. And it is, it, it feels so much like Tom McDonald, but it is yeah, in reverse, kind of a yeah. classic thing too. It's like, I think I you think said we this talked last about week. it last time. It's like playing a, playing a big guitar chord in, in front of the Westboro Baptist Yeah, church. that's exactly what it is. One of his newest songs is him like, uh, he has like photos of governors who restricted trans rights and it's him like being bad to the photos of them and being like, fuck you, fuck you, you're too old. Yeah, and it is. I, I assume he does have a lot of people saying that he's stupid from the right. Oh, I'm sure That's he probably does, yeah. most of the people that he's pissing off because that's the point to trigger the cons. But um, oh, what was I about to say? I lost my track of thought here completely. I mean, I guess dovetailing off that, at least what I was saying too, of like, you see enough posts on his Instagram where people are like, essentially saying he's like an industry plant by being like, your handlers are producing all this like professional video for you and everything, which is like true and not true of like, he does have this like professional team propping him up, but it's not really from within the industry in a meaningful way. It's like this alternative YouTube world, which is its own industry, but it's like, to be fair, the actual music industry has nothing to do with any of these people. Oh, what I was going to say is it's funny to see right wing people see stuff like this. That's clearly bad. It just, it definitely sucks. Yeah. And they say it sucks. No, I'm not offended by it. It just sucks. It's corny and it's pandering and it's lame and it's out of date. And that's why yeah, that's I hate it. Enough. No, I'm not triggered. I'm not triggered. It just sucks. And then he says, oh, you're triggered. Fuck you. Yeah. Why are you so triggered by my gay ass shit? That is how it's, it's like funny. Tom McDonald, where making music that's designed yeah. to trigger people is just so lame. It's exactly like they, it's, they're getting a taste of their own medicine. Yeah. Which I like because that's how they are about their shit about Forgiato blow. Yeah. <laughs> when someone on the left says like, regardless of Trump or Biden or anything, this is just stupid. Yeah. This is just stupid as fuck. And you must know that this, this sucks. And you like Bachman Turner overdrive in the who, and you're just pretending to like this shitty rap because he agrees with you politically. And they say, you're triggered. You're triggered. You're triggered. And now they get to do that from the other side. Yeah. And that's nice. Like, no, you're just triggered by this dude. Why are you so triggered by TX2 and his, his truth telling? Where he's saying, I fucked all 21 genders. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. It's, it's really... I went, uh, in trying to find more stuff about the producer, I kind of went deeper down the rabbit hole of, he doesn't have a page on Wikipedia, but a band he briefly played in around 2008 does... And it was this band called Tickle Me Pink from Fort Collins that was like an emo band at the time. They only put out one album in 2008. Uh, it has a Wikipedia page and all the scores it got were like three out of 10, three and a half out of five, two and a half stars on all music, like pretty, you know, mediocre stuff here. Um, but this band peaked in like 2008. They had this brief moment where they opened for Hawthorne Heights and they made their one album and... 
this guy played in that band. And it's, it's, so that band was from Fort Collins, right? And then you go to TX2's little shitty homepage, which this is funny too, where his homepage looks like a free template on like Wix.com or something where it is all super DIY in that sense. There's like a contact form at the bottom and like, it's really very like shitty and basic like template. But uh, TX2 is also from Fort Collins. So it's very, very clearly that the Joey Barba guy was just looking for younger kids from Fort Collins who he can make emo music for and produce everything and make them like the young guy image of it, you know? He's yeah, like living exactly. out the the experience he didn't get to have with his band that kind of didn't go anywhere. And now he lets this guy get like a couple million plays for him on YouTube and it's like he gets to live through that, you know? Yeah, that is exactly what it is. Um, I guess... Uh, Oh, wow. Joey Barber replaced a guy who overdosed on him. Oh, that is actually an interesting story. The day their album came out, that guy died, uh, which is obviously it's just insane and tragic, but uh, also the their band didn't album, go anywhere, wow. so no one found out about it either, you know? Yeah, and I guess he wasn't really... Like, that was their one album that they put out. Yeah, and their only and other claim to fame, on one song, like the single from the album was available as DLC for free in Rock Band 2. And it says it was on MTV2. Yeah, so they had I one guess video I was right. It would, it would be on MTV too, and it also yeah. says the video was directed by Christopher Sims. And then I click on Christopher Sims, and he's an economist, <laughs> economist who's eighty. <laughs> That's obviously the wrong link at Princeton. Yeah, it's obviously not. <laughs> that would like, be sick though if this old economist did the video. And the the disambiguation, like I don't think. Yeah, there isn't another guy who has a Wikipedia article, so they just, I guess, assume that that guy must have his own Wikipedia article and then put the link over it, and then it goes to an an econometrician and yeah, macroeconomist. But maybe it was that guy. I don't know. Oh, the the members from Hawthorne Heights claim to have asked Tickle Me Pink to join the tour in part due to a sense of shared loss, having lost a band member, Casey Calvert, themselves the previous year. Yeah, interesting. Wow, I remember trolling the Hawthorne Heights forums when that happened, <laughs> saying that he he died of sucking dick and all that kind of stuff. That's a very two thousands bit right there. Yeah, me me coming home from school in eighth grade. It's a little little thin these days. It's a little thin of a bit right there. Yeah, it's a uh, not a lot of not a lot of Hawthorne Heights members left. I'm gonna um, cancel you by finding your posts on the Hawthorne Heights uh, board. <laughs> and cancel you for trolling them in their time of uh, greatest grief. Yeah, dude, I like the idea of getting an economist to direct a video. Though I need to get Paul Krugman on something, man. The budgeting would be amazing, though. Yeah, <laughs> you would not go under or over budget at all. If we got Paul Krugman to uh, to do a video where we like uh, have a bunch of gay shit going on in a church. Well, you know, it's like. Uh, Tim Pool and all these fucking annoying guys are all insisting on making music now. Like every everybody, period, just makes a shitty song. You, if you're any kind of public figure now, you have to make a shitty song, right? Like whether it's like Faze Banks Jake and Paul. Keemstar. Yeah, Keemstar has a song. Jake Paul has a song. Fucking um, Jordan Peterson did vocals over like a shitty like prog rock song. Like every one of these guys has to do it. So I think we need to push that to the next level. Any kind of like New York Times opinion writer. David Brooks, the fact that he hasn't done a song yet is crazy. We got to produce something for him. Yeah, and he's always trying to get younger women. That's right. Yeah, like he, yeah, he got hooked up with a secretary or whatever. We could get that for him ten times over if he just makes a uh, emo, like an a, a emo, an emo rap song. song. Yeah, about how we need to balance the budget yeah. and give more money to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, if if we could get Thomas Friedman, that would be the the sweetest plum. And he's how we can bring back mall core because his wife owns all the malls. <laughs> 
so we can have booked shows, pre-booked shows in the malls with people that look like this that are wearing like um what the the lesbian friend from Mean Girls wore. It's what Aaron Carter would want us to do. I, whenever I think of touring malls and playing shows, I think of Aaron Carter and I think that in his memory now it's the Did least he really do. do that? Yeah. Like on his way yeah. out like when he was already like fallen out of favor. When he was like 17. Yeah, you could see him just playing like in a mall in Miami. I didn't know he actually did that. I know Tiffany did that. Yeah. So another thing that came up was something that I, I couldn't have predicted this would happen. It's totally inexplicable. But Fallout Boy did a cover of We Didn't Start the Fire and rewrote it with new stuff. Yeah, it's so And shady. I just, I don't know why. I just, I can't wrap my brain around it. And I generally like Fallout Boy. I've met Joe. I've met Andy. They were both very nice. Yeah, Andy came I to an E1 house party once. It was super nice. Take This to Your Grave is a great album. From Under the Cork Tree is a great album. They're talented musicians. They have some great songs. But I don't know why they would do this. It's so strange. Well, so, I think you yeah. can pretty much say it's obviously not Andy and Joe who are the ones who wanted to do this. No, they're not. The, they don't write the songs. They don't write the lyrics. I don't think. But yeah, it's I don't think a, they've written any of the lyrics. Like of everything we're going to talk about today, this is probably the one that most people have heard about. But it's like it's so clunky, even by the standards. Like the original song sucks already, but at least it is conceptually consistent and it's chronological and it like there is a idea behind it that at least makes sense. This doesn't seem to understand what the point of the original was. And it's just so yeah. haphazard. And some of the things mentioned are just too small. Like they just don't matter to anyone. And some of them are mentioned so in such a glib and passive way that it's like offensive almost. It's just so weird. Yeah. Billy Joel gets some credit because when he did it the first time, it was before boomer nostalgia started to be kind of a cringe thing. Yeah. That was pre Forrest Gump. It was pre a lot of things. And now I think it's more generally understood that that kind of sappy nostalgia where you're like, oh, the events from my childhood, that's the, that was the real shit. That was when stuff was real. Like, I, I feel like that is as like generations are a fairly new thing in general. Like there weren't yeah. uh, deep, like divided generations in the 1800s that started with like the silent generation and, and on. And I, the boomers were the first ones to really mythologize their own culture in that way. For sure. And uh, they had they were completely earnest about it. And then I feel like later generations have sort of backed away from that idea that you should mythologize the stuff that happened when you were growing up. Uh, but obviously that's a minority because there are still people that are like, that was awesome what Billy Joel did. That wasn't corny at all. And what we need to do is update it. And uh, let's see, let me pull up the... The post that they made about it because they did sort of a mea culpa oh, when they, they posted it. It's like a big thread. So one, I thought about this song a lot when I was younger. All those important people and events, some that disappeared into the sands of time, others that changed the world forever. So much has happened in the span of the last 34 years. We felt like a little system update might be found. Fun. Hope you like our take on it. And uh, here's a sample of it. First one, Captain Planet, Arab Spring. L.A. riots, Rodney King, deep fakes, earthquakes, Iceland volcano, Oklahoma City bomb, Kurt Cobain, Pokemon, Tiger Woods, MySpace, Monsanto GMOs, Harry Potter, Twilight, Michael Jackson dies, nuclear accident, Fukushima, Japan, 
Crimean Peninsula, Cambridge Analytica, Kim Jong-un, Robert Downey Jr., Iron it's Man. so clunky compared to the Billy Joel one, too. Like, one, like 34 years ago was how long ago? That was 1989. What years was Captain Planet even on? Uh, early 90s. I don't know, 93-ish or something. 1990 to 1992. Okay. So that kind of makes sense. I always figured that it was an 80s thing. But still, that's like, we're talking about... 
that kind of stuff. Yeah, this misses this uh, Fallout Boy one misses out entirely on inventions and stuff. Like I guess it mentions GMOs, but yeah, um, like GMOs and like Y two K. But I think inventions are most of the. That's most of the story here. I think it's the technological changes rather than yeah. They really downplayed the that. little shit like Firefest. It's like that's not really yeah. They mentioned self driving electric cars in the last verse, but they don't mention like iPhone or something. You know, <laughs> things that are much more seismic. Yeah, if you're going to talk about what's happened culturally in the last 34 years, that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's so pervasive that, that uh, they didn't even think of it, you know? <laughs> Which is damning. Like, that means they did a bad job on the song, but... Um, verse, verse three is... like I can't believe how many verses there are, and it keeps getting worse. You, you won't believe how fucking bad this is. Sandy Hook, Columbine, Sandra Bland, and Tamir Rice... Isis, LeBron James, Shinzo Abe, Blown Away. They also fucked that up because the Blown Away line is supposed to be a big line at the end of a verse, and they put it right at the beginning of that verse. Yeah. Meghan Markle, George Floyd, Burj Khalifa, Metroid. God. Shut the fuck up, man. So What are you talking about? What is... Ah... Is it, are they supposed to be related? Like, Meghan Markle and George Floyd, those are both racial style issues. And then Burj Khalifa and Metroid. Like, it seems like it's put together at complete random. Yeah, it's just complete word salad. And then the rhymes are so slanted that they're hard to, like, it's hard to suspend your disbelief for the song of YouTube killed MTV, SpongeBob, Golden State Killer got caught. And you know about this because you did write a new version of this, an old version. That's an old, right. old yeah, version. for Chapo. For the Hell on Earth series about the 30 Years War. And I was. People were mad at them. I saw them getting yelled at on Twitter about this, about like having the the glib mention of George Floyd, and it, it's you. I, I understand why people are mad about that, and this just generally sucks. But I also was thinking about like people back in the day being like, "Wallenstein just died. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Gustavus Adolphus just died, and you're just making fun of it." Yeah, the Wallenstein, Pikemen, salivating Ottomans, like. How dare you say they're salivating? Yeah, a lot of anti-Turkish bias in there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it, any, it is all going to be serious things, and you are doing a song parody about people dying and wars and stuff, so. It would be funny for that Hell on Earth version to have a bunch of superficial stuff, like the name of some court jester or something. Yeah, did you say anything about Tulip Mania? Or was that a yeah, little yeah, later? Yeah, it's in, it's in there. It's a Dutch Tulip Mania, Swedes and Pomerania was the rhyme. Oh, right. Yeah, that was concurrent. Which via Matt Crispin, like Matt mo- wrote, uh, Matt like killed a lot of those lyrics. So. Do they say anything about NFTs or Bitcoin or No, crypto? they didn't. To their credit, they didn't mention that in this song. I think that would be, you would want to put that in because what is that but the modern tulip mania? Yeah, they should have mentioned th- Bored Apes. I think that's more of a, I mean, if you're going to put in Firefest. Oh, yeah, put in Bored Apes. The Fortune Kit version of this, like, Bored Apes, TX2, Tommy Lee does Bonsai with you. <laughs> all <laughs> the shit right. we've talked about lately. Gene Simmons sitting down. Uh, Megan Trainer makes us frown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Nathan Medley Garfield. Texas failed electric grid. Man. That's also just, I don't know if that's big enough to mention, man. Yeah, it's all some Twitter stuff. It is interesting. It's an interesting thought experiment in a certain sense to think about what of this stuff is going to be remembered in the future. And they were definitely off the mark, but it does get other people to talk about it. Like 
are we going to remember that? Are we going to remember Cambridge Anal- Analytica? Yeah. No. You're right. Like, to some extent, it's kind of like, oh, another thing that's not worth us talking about, but that happened this week that's music related is Rolling Stone putting out their list of like 50 best LGBT songs. And then they clearly very deliberately posted, you know, like five of the artists on Twitter and it's all straight women. Like, they're definitely trying to make people mad with that. Uh, and it makes you wonder whether Fallout Boy's trying to do like outrage bait, but I really don't think they are. I think that they're just not that bright. Yeah, I think they're just they're getting older and they're around other re- rich people, and they yeah maybe don't really know what the deal is. Uh, my friend texted me making fun of this today, and he was like, "If they're going to mention such like obscure things, they should have brought up Ahmed's clock." Do you remember that in the Obama oh, administration? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, so we were talking about that. We were talking about that on the FYM podcast the other day. Oh, because really? We were talking about like, like the kids who would be like inventor kids, and they would take a bunch of shit apart and leave screws everywhere, and be like, "I invented that." Yeah, exactly. That- and that was that was the only thing I like took away from that. Really, was like, oh, I remember those kids. I remember the kids that would like unscrew an alarm clock and be like, "I invented this," and their parents would be like, "Oh." fuck, I have to put the thing back together. I have to screw it. This is so funny about the Ahmed's clock thing where Obama's like standing by him and be like, great invention there. And it's like, it's the thing he made sucks. Like you don't have to pretend like it's great. Like people are defending him. Like, wow, he's a, he's going to go so far. He's brilliant. It's like, no, he's just some random kid. Like, yeah, he was just some kid fucking around and he happened to be, yeah. Like get swept up in a racism thing. Exactly. People shouldn't be racist against this kid, but also you don't have to pretend this kid's a genius. You don't have to say that's yeah. He's just, he's fucking around. It's like a kid making homemade fireworks. Yeah. Like, Oh, he's a, he's a uh, fireworks technician. Yeah. All right. All right. It was, it, Obama liked doing stuff like that. He would jump on some Twitter thing or like maybe his younger advisors, the Johns, they would make him jump on some Twitter thing. Like, remember the beer summit? Oh, I love that. Yeah. With it was Henry Henry Louis Louis Gates. Gates. Yeah. Yeah. Who's awesome. And it sucks that that happened to him, that he, uh, he was trying to get into his own house and the cops stopped him and thought he was breaking in. But, um, Obama thought that was a bigger story than it was. And then he had the cop and yeah, the Henry Louis Gates have a beer with him. And it just turned into like, I don't know. It, it backfired, whatever that was supposed to do. Yeah. I think it's classic Obama. Of- it's like he means well, but it's a superficial gesture. And as I recall, anyway, I think Obama was drinking a three, one, two at that to show that he's from Chicago. So he drinks the Chicago beer, but that's also like the first Chicago brewery that sold to InBev, which is perfect. Obama of he's like the corporate guy who wants to believe he's like the local boy done good, you know? Yeah. He should knock down a bunch of buildings and build his own brewery. Yeah. <laughs> Obama beer. But yeah, that was, I, I think a lot of people's takeaway from that was like, Obama's bringing back race. He's being divisive. We didn't have racism before that. Well, to his and credit, he was damned if he did, were, damned if he didn't. Like everyone was so acting yeah, in such people bad were going to say that about, about anything. Yeah. People were going to say any anything racial. He's going to be like, oh well, we didn't have this problem before he started talking about it. But with stuff like that, it was kind of really teeing it up. Yeah, most of the time yeah, he like, did walk on eggshells around it though, and it didn't help. Yeah, when he did walk on eggshells, it didn't help because conservatives don't give a fuck. They're always just going to try to blame him for everything. So yeah, there was nothing he really could have done. In those terms to make them like him. Yeah, for sure. He was but he naive. tried anyway. I think he, I think it's fair in some ways how naive he was because he didn't realize just, like, it's not his fault that he didn't realize just how virulent the Republican Party is. Yeah, it was part him not giving a shit. 
because he's out for himself and part him being genuinely naive. Yeah. I don't mean to like uh, defend him either because it's like in retrospect, when you look at who he surrounded himself with from day one, it's Rahm Emanuel. It's Bill Daly. It's all the worst fucking people in Chicago What's politics. That? I Just, thought you liked Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> all of our great politicians like Rahm and the Dailies. You don't like him hiring your hometown boys? Yeah, he's a local boy. You don't good. like the beam? Oh, man, this LGBT anthems thing. I mean, I'm not the person to judge this stuff, but born this way at number one? Yeah, it seems like they're trying to offend people, though, you know? It's like all Beautiful straight women all two? up and down the list. Katy Perry firework is number three? <laughs> That's just well, certifiably insane. She was a Christian you know? artist. Yeah. Casey Musgrave, okay. Like, it but just has to be designed to make to people get, mad on purpose. Yeah, you have to get pretty far down the list before you find... Uh, how do they make Express Yourself 11 and then Born This Way is 1? <laughs> I'm Coming Out is 12. Heroes is 13. Is that... Is... I, I don't know. What yeah, a dumb list. Very dubious. Oh, when Taylor we were talking Swift, about... <laughs> you Need to Calm Down is 23. Oh, Break My Soul by Beyonce is 22. That's a great song. It's a great song. One of the best songs of the last year. But how are you going to put Beyonce up and down a uh, LGBT list? I had this Google window open from earlier when we were talking about Aaron Carter playing in malls. And there's a bunch of YouTube clips from like over a decade ago of like Aaron Carter at Eagle Ridge Mall. Really? Yeah. 2011. Wow. Look at that. That is. Wow. That's kind of tragic. If there's one thing that Aaron Carter wants people to know about him, it's that he is a musician. The tween music sensation from the early 2000s is looking to get back, looking to get back to performing and recording his music. Carter is working to evolve from his days singing the songs of his teenage years to prove that he's all grown up. Oh man, dude, I found this is on Tripod, the website. Like, no one's used that since like GeoCities era. Yeah, it's on tripod.lycos.com. It's like. During a special live performance at a mall in Kuala Lumpur, Aaron danced and sang his way into the hearts of girls old enough to be his babysitters. Oh, man. R.I.P. Oh, and here's setlist.fm for, check this out. It's a set list of what he played at Shopping Town Mall in DeWitt, New York. I wonder if that's nice for people. Like, do they come away from that inspired? If they're people who looked up to Aaron Carter when they were 11... And then they're seeing him a decade later. They're adults. He's an adult. He's been arrested for DUIs a bunch of times. And you see him and he's like, I'm just trying to get myself back together, guys. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Do those people go home and go like, damn, that was awesome. Life rocks. Yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine that would be nice. The to, mall to see. live show is such a, and since malls themselves barely exist anymore, it's hard to understand the like... Even I'm like too young to have wanted to do, even though I, I was the right age to end up going to malls for like a few years, but I, well, I guess yeah, I, I always just I, hated this kind of music where even when I was that age, I would have hated to see pop stars at the mall, you know? Yeah. I was never into that stuff. I like, when I was, I was on, like 11, I wanted to hear like Dr. Mall. Dre, you know what I mean? Yeah. He should have come to the mall. <laughs> he should have come to the mall. He probably does now to show off beats by Dre. Yeah. <laughs> He does tech demonstrations. That'd be so fun. Peak Dr. Dre, right when like, uh, like 2001 just came out and he's, he's performing Forgot About Dre at the mall. I think Will I Am should have his cool car in the mall. Totally. And he's in it when they have a car in the middle of the mall and people look at it and he should be inside it and he's just waving to people. But yeah, I was, 
I guess a little too young to fully experience the mall when it was at the center of American suburban life. Like I was probably like 2005 was the peak of when I went a bit, would have been going there. And even then it was still more like mostly going to the target that was in the mall. Yeah. Or like on the side of the mall. Cause you could also just go in the side. And that's exactly how every mall crumbled is that the only things that remained were those couple of flagship like stores on the corners where either a target or like some kind of clothing store, like a, I don't know, Sears and stuff too, or like a movie theater. And those are the only things that lasted, you know? Yeah, so many of those small stores, there's no reason to there's no reason to go there when you can just buy stuff online. It was funny you even, can't buy even during that era you, though, like when we were like 13, we would go to the mall and see like stores that are just like weird novelty things that are like trinkets that no one's gonna fucking buy and be like, that place is gonna close in five months, you know? Yeah, that's always been around. Anytime there are open storefronts, there are places that just are not going to be in business in a year. And that happens on Main Street, too. That always happens. Yeah, just like hand-carved people doodads. Forget that. It's like, that fucking store is going to... F- it's like a Ned Flanders left-handed store. It's like, that shit's closing next month. Yeah, places that do, like, um, they do your nails, or they do, like, electrolysis in the mall. Yeah. <laughs> and there's never anyone in there. It's like, who's getting this done? Like who's getting their legs waxed at the mall? That is the kind of you, place that I would write Groupons for when I worked at Groupon. Hell yeah. Dude, you should give me some free Groupons. Yeah, dude. I need Groupons. I should hit up Did the one guy I know who still works there and be like, yo, no, it's still around. Like the, the stock has tanked to insanely low levels. And my, my one friend who still works there told me that they like all the VPs and shit talk about it. It's just assumed it's always in crisis where it's always, the conversation is always like, how do we save this place instead of like, here's our plan for a business thing, you know? It definitely doesn't make sense. I don't really get how coupons make sense in general. Groupon was designed to capitalize on the 2008 crash. So it was still cool through like 2010, 2011. Those couple of years, it had like a little thing, but it's been a solid decade of steep decline since then. Like I get why they would put coupons in the flyers in the newspaper. And then you would go to that specific grocery store. Yeah. Because it encourages people to go there and to like spend more time thinking about it. And that's worth getting less money for a bag of oranges. But yeah, well, as someone who had to think about this 10 years ago working there, it's like the only reason I could see to justify businesses running on Groupon was basically that it's a form of advertising in which you only pay for the ads when a transaction happens. Because, like, if you run a Groupon and no one buys it, then you paid nothing to run the ad. But if a bunch of people buy the Groupon, then you're going to pay a percentage of what you would have made. So I see it as a form of advertising where you pay on the back end, which for small businesses is better than paying a bunch of money for, like, a fucking local TV ad that you don't get any benefit from. So, like, the money you pay as the local business is relative to the amount you sell. So that's at least kind of appealing, right? But... It's also just not worth it for most businesses. No, there's no reason to pay for that. The only businesses that actually truly worked for are businesses who do classes that aren't full. So like if you have a yoga studio and you're always like 50% full, it makes sense to run a Groupon to fill it up a little more because there's zero added cost because you're already paying the instructor to be there. But then it does create this sense of like, distrust within the class where some people are getting it for cheap and some people are paying full price and stuff like that's true yeah you can't put a sign on the door that says 50 percent off for anyone new and then Mm -hmm. yeah it fucks over the people who sign up first that's why they tried to make it more perverse incentive they tried to make it like so you could just do it on the app and people couldn't tell who's using a group on and shit like that but 
It's a real trip. That must down be a really lane good lane. feeling to like to be working at a company and you realize the business model doesn't make sense. <laughs> it just sucks. That seems to happen a lot in America. It was working being at a place though? and it's like, wait a minute, yeah. hold on. The, we're losing money. Since we were the editorial department, it was like from day one, even when the business was at its peak and everything was going much better than it should have. We, as the, as the editorial department, we were always like, they're going to lay off every one of us any day now. So for the whole time I was there, we always assumed we were going to get laid off. And then the real tragedy for me personally is that, you know, after, like, I was fucking sick of working there and I hated it. So I started doing a lot of freelance stuff on the side and I quit once I had enough freelance work to like not be broke when I quit. And two weeks after I quit, they laid everyone off finally. And I was like, motherfucker, if I just waited two more weeks, they would have owed me severance pay. Yeah, all this. They paid out like three months of severance and unemployment and stuff. I was like, motherfucker, man, two weeks. All I had to do was wait two oh, weeks. Oh, damn. I'm still mad about that. Yeah, that's the dream that it just ends and you don't have to do anything. Yeah, exactly. How could I be the they last person to quit off. before the layoffs? Like, I still, I'm never going to live that down in my own head. Yeah. Well, I guess no one can check. Yeah. <laughs> you can just say like, yeah, they laid everybody off. It was in the news. Remember? Like they're not going to call somebody and say like, are you sure he didn't quit? I feel so bad that I, that, that money should have been mine. Yeah. You should get unemployment if that happens. You should get back unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> if you quit before a layoff, they should owe you. Like, it just seems unfair. You know, we need some kind of labor law that if you quit any time in a year before a layoff, they owe you money too. Yeah, you have to check their file. Okay, we were planning to lay him off. Yeah, exactly. We were, the secret files, the secret layoff files that they have. Man, if I was at the Shopping Town Mall in DeWitt, New York on December 28th, 2004, and I just happened to coincidentally see Aaron Carter performing That's How I Beat Shaq live, I think it would have changed my life. It's funny how he can't beat Shaq when he does it live. Yeah. He, he, only needs, he can only do it in the studio. <laughs> If you watch the music video, he beats Shaq, but when he does it on stage, Shaq's not there. There's no hoop. He can't do it. That's true. In the song, there's Studio a sample magic. where there's like the pitch down thing that's supposed to be Shaq talking. I guess he probably just triggered it as a sample live, but... Was that not Shaq? I haven't really listened to that song. I'm... Okay, I haven't listened to it in many years either, but I'm pretty sure it's very obviously not Shaq in the song. They didn't even get him in the video? He is in the video, but uh, I don't think they have him say the phrase in the video even. Trying to find it here. It's. I think it's like. There's. It's like. Um. The verses are like a narrative, and it's like Shaq has some lines where he's, like Shaq challenges him. I don't remember who challenges who. Okay, now we gotta look this up. Now we're talking about this song for some reason. Yeah, we gotta get to the plot of this. Oh, here it is. Yeah. So he heard the fans screaming. He thought it was for him, but then he saw a shadow. It was twelve foot three. It was Shaquille O'Neal. What? What he say? And that's the line. How about some one on one? You want to play? And it's clearly just. Some guy in this, it's probably like, I don't know, the producer or something just trying to talk in a low voice and pitching it down a little. Yeah, that, that was definitely not Shaq. I just heard it. That's interesting though, it's, because the song implies then that it's Shaq who challenged Aaron Carter, which seems insane, right? Like this song is so biased towards Aaron Carter because there's no way Shaq would ever challenge him because Shaq knows he would fucking destroy him. It's so like, uh, Shaq really humiliated himself agreeing to be in that video, you know? Yeah, you would have to be such a dickhead to walk up to this little kid. He's like eight years old shooting hoops and be like, I challenge you. Yeah, one-on-one, -on -one, you little piece of like, shit. Like you get to meet your hero and he's not like, keep trying, keep trying. You'll be in the, the big leagues one day. 
it's like, uh, you fucking suck. I could kick your ass, bitch. <laughs> it's some real like wish fulfillment here of like this tiny kid who he's not even trying to challenge Shaq, but he beats him anyway. He wasn't even prepared to play him and he still kicks his ass. The greatest part about it is that an adult wrote it. Two adults. Yeah. <laughs> Two adult men sat down and wrote this fantasy about an eight-year-old boy making up a story about Shaquille O'Neal challenging him to play hoops and then getting owned. And it made a lot of money. But the guy died. So I don't know if it's good or not. I don't know if Aaron Carter... Was that a was that a success all around? A success? I think the fact that he died young means that I think this song is a masterpiece now. He made it past twenty seven. Yeah, that's true. Wait a minute, thirty four center from the L A Lakers, but what age did Aaron Carter die? Thirty four. <gasps> wow. Was it Shaq? Was it Shaq? We need to make did our own conspiracy theory here. Shaq left his number on Aaron Carter's bio. Yep. Who got the 34. last laugh? Maybe Shaq killed him. He probably did. He probably threw a basketball at him. Oh, my God, dude. Someone needs to investigate this. You know, if you're listening, check it out. Go in the Discord and come up with your own conspiracy theory about why the number 34 appeared cryptically in this famous song and he died at that age. Like That just seems too insane that the same number could happen twice in someone's life somehow. You know, It's got to be a code. And if it's not, you spell it differently until it fits. Yeah. There's a website where you can put in a code. I forget what it's called, but there are a couple transvestigators that I follow who always use it. And you've got like the Sumerian alphabet and all, all these different ways of calculating like the the Kabbalah or the I forget what it's called with the numbers, the symbology. And this guy will retype it in spelled wrong until it comes up with <laughs> 666. It's like rhymebrain.com so awesome. for uh, conspiracy nut nutcases. Yeah, just keep keep fixing it until it works. Another thing we were talking about was the Mercy Beat magazine. Oh yeah, I was thinking about this recently because I think you came up with this bit at some point of being into every Mercy side band except the Beatles and being like they were like the worst group at the time in Liverpool. Like it's fucked up they got famous. Like I guess their first album was okay. Yeah, there would have to be guys like that. There are guys like that for every scene where they were there and the one big band that got signed to a major label, actually they sucked. We all thought they sucked. And one of the bands that didn't get signed, they were actually better. And they actually, it's hard to find their album, but if you can find their album, that was like the real shit. But like the guys that got famous, they were like sellouts and they weren't even like really, they weren't even really part of that genre. But doing that for the Beatles and you're talking about D Fenton and the Silhouettes yeah, and Dale Roberts and the Jaywalkers. Ian and the Zodiacs. Almost every band is one. Eric Earl Preston and the TTs. The TTU. And they're the all doing the same thing maker. too. This, that that like, presages um, Akon. Like this, in uh, 1962, Mercy Beat did a poll to find the most popular Mercy Beat albums or um, bands, artists. Yeah. yeah. And number one was the Beatles. And that was something that they got criticized for, apparently. No, this is funny. Yes. Okay. I went way deep down this whole rabbit hole today. Um, apparently, the guy who ran this magazine, Bill Harry, when he did this, like, it's just like a write-in vote for your favorite band. And he realized that for Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, who ended up coming in fourth, originally they came in first, but 
uh, Bill Harry noticed at least 40 different things with the same handwriting written in green. And he thinks it was uh, Rory Storm himself was cheating to try to get to number one. So he disqualified all those votes and the Beatles came in number one. But then it turned out that after it was published, the Beatles also cheated and they just wrote their own names a bunch of times too. They got away with it. This list is so funny. Like Jerry and the Pacemakers, that's number two. That's probably the most, the second most well-known yeah, Mercy We're just band. saying something because all these other ones, the Remo Four are in third place. Yeah, who are they? And it's also no funny because idea. so many of these songs are like old jazz standards that they did. Like I clicked on the Remo Four and the singles that they put out. Oh, wow. There was actually, they put out a song called Tip of My Tongue that was written by Paul McCartney. Oh, interesting. 1963. I, I, that it's probably not good. Yeah, it's so it's if they probably, gave it away and never acknowledged. Yeah, it. that means it's it's worse than the first couple Beatles albums, and they were willing to put a couple shitty ones on there. So yeah, like they they had album tracks that were still like, "Ooh, I love you." Yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, I love you. And it was like clearly written on a bus. So and uh, they usually they would give those to someone else. Yeah, like the Rolling Stones. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, they would write a few, a handful of Rolling Stones. Yeah, Stone they gave songs uh, like uh, I forget what it was called, but they gave the Rolling Stones a song that sucked so bad. Yeah, that was like uh, Jagger and Richards could have just written one in the same amount of time and yeah. gotten the royalties because it was like that simplistic and shitty. Um, but uh, but what you're saying, the first thing you started saying about how you just know that there's dickheads in the scene who are like the Beatles suck. It basically is true of Bill Harry who ran this magazine. Of I, I found an interview with him um, in like a. I'm trying to remember if it was a Manchester newspaper, or Liverpool, one like a northern British city in 2011 when he's like in his 70s. Um, so this is like a decade ago, and he said, "I or I know it's it's the Liverpool Echo was the name of the website, but um, he said I believe King Size Taylor and the Dominoes were the best rock and roll band of the 60s. He he it's believed amazing. that till age 70. So I listened to King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. And it's totally fine. It's just like serviceable early 60s British stuff that's ripping off American music. But that band wrote zero originals. It was only covers. It's like they were too stuck in the old paradigm of music in the 20, like the early 20th century where you just do a bunch of covers and you don't write originals. Like it's obvious why that band is completely forgotten, you know? Yeah, they were all it, – it, it is interesting to be in that mindset if you only listen to like Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry for a couple hours in Fats Domino, because that's what they were doing. That's the only thing that you could do back then was you would listen to those records. Yeah. They were the only ones that you had, and then you would do covers of them. Yeah, you just learn you play the along to the album doing, and learn all the songs and just replay those songs. They were all doing competing covers of Roll Over Beethoven, and that's really all the scene was. And there is it is sort of endearing in a sense to go back and think about that, about how simple it was and how they had, they had so few reference points Yeah, for like how, how much it, uh, it changed into a bunch of different things, but to like, to have strong opinions about it, like the, the cover of money, that's what I want by King size Taylor is better than the one by Mark Peters and the Cyclones. Yeah. <laughs> like who cares? Like in, and also, the only reason any of this stuff matters is because the Beatles came out of it. Exactly, and they it's just did some other stuff. Dickheads, like the uh, what we were talking. I guess okay, when we were talking about like TX Two and shit, that other guy's band in Fort Collins, Tickle Me Pink. It's like talking about that band sixty years later. Nobody cares. Period. You know, it just happens that the Beatles were around these other bands. 
Yeah, um, they were just the bands that were around the Beatles, and it didn't really have anything to do with the Mercy River or Liverpool, because the Rolling Stones came out of London. Yeah, the Kings came shit, out of London. You know? All across England, really, it doesn't matter that it was in Liverpool. This same shit was happening in like Manchester and whatever, you know? Yeah, and the only reason any of this stuff matters at all, that it has a Wikipedia article that people know what Merseyside means and Mercy Beat is because the Beatles were there. It's totally tangential. Yeah. And the Beatles could have been, yeah, they could have been in any city, really. So I ended up reading a lot about King Size Taylor and the Dominoes trying to go down that rabbit hole of why this guy thinks they're the best band of the 60s, period. Um. And it's super interesting that Ringo Starr, they asked Ringo Starr to join their band in like 62 or something. And then he turned them down after the Beatles offered him more money. (laughs) So then also, it was funny. I was also trying to build a case for why the Beatles suck and all these other bands are good. And I think this is good um, evidence for that, where King Size Taylor and the Dominoes also went to Germany to get their chops up and make some money. So the Beatles are just fucking doing what everybody else is doing in Liverpool, you know? They weren't the only ones to go to Germany. That must have been kind of fun, going over to Hamburg and doing Dexedrin. Yeah. Getting every single STD at the same time. Yeah. They would play eight-hour sets of the same shit, of just doing Chuck Berry covers. And then check out the the name of this album that King Size Taylor put out in Germany. The album was called Let's Do the Slop Twist Madison Hully Gully. Another thing that's kind of puzzling to me reading about Hamburg back in the day is how a a local band didn't just decide to do this stuff. Like it wouldn't have been that hard yeah, for in a Hamburg. German band. Yeah. Yeah, like why why do we have to get these guys from the industrial towns in England? Liverpudlian motherfuckers coming over here to Hamburg. Like they're all just they're doing cover songs of American songs. <laughs> You go why to can't one we venue just do that? and you see the Beatles and then you go to the fucking next club down the street and you see fucking King Size Taylor in there. And you're like, what the fuck are all these like Liverpool guys doing in my city? Like it is in English, but plenty of Germans speak English. Yeah. And it's not like you could really understand on those PAs. Yeah. Totally. You can barely understand what someone's saying in a bar show now, let alone in 1962. You wouldn't be able to tell if they were singing Fats Domino with a German accent. Maybe there were bands. Maybe there were... What's the, what's the river that goes through Hamburg? Is that the, let's see. I don't know. I fucked up my keyboard somehow. I can't look up the river. You broke it in half. No, I got a new one and it's got all these hot keys on it. <laughs> so I think I have to hit the, the function key or something. So I guess I won't find out what the river was, but they should have their own beat. They should yeah, have their own the beat. The Hamburg beat. The Hamburg beat. Um, I don't think it's the Hamburg river. That would be a little ridiculous. Yeah, come on. It's not like Chicago would have the Chicago River. That would be fucked up. That would be really fucked up. Maybe it should be standardized to be like that, like the New York River. Yeah, the Hudson the, needs the to be California changed. River. And whatever state has the most of it, that gets to be what state it is. Like the Colorado River, that can't be mostly in Colorado, right? Yeah, the Mississippi needs to be changed to a bigger and more important state. Yeah, Minnesota. It should be the Minnesota River. Yeah, I'm down for that. Um... Just from other things I wrote down about King Size Taylor while we're on it, interestingly, in 64, basically the band had already kind of like fizzled out by like 64, right when the Beatles were starting to get good. But he did record one song with Jimmy Page in London. It's called Somebody's Always Trying. I didn't bother to listen to it, but that's kind of like he had this one more little shot where he got Jimmy Page on something and then he gave up on music and he ran like a butcher shop for 30 years. And then he died this year, interestingly. Wow. Jimmy Page was on a lot of stuff. 
Yeah. He was on a lot of stuff in the early 60s. He was 60s. just grinding until he found something that actually worked, you know? Yeah. Oh, and then the fo- like uh, following up on that guy, Bill Harry, who made the, the Mercy Beat magazine. He actually went on to be like a PR guy for Pink Floyd, David Bowie, Led Zeppelin. Like he actually did legitimately interesting PR work anyway. But he was still, he was still living back in the Mercy Beat era. I, I think he moved to London or something, but. Hmm. Because if in 2011, he was still talking about that, about how King Size Taylor was better than the Beatles. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of quaint. That's very quaint that even if he went and uh, he went to the big city and managed all these bigger artists. But he just he never got PR over King Super Size Tramp. Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, none of these kids. It's especially Susie funny. Quattro, Hot Chocolate, Mott the Hoople. Yeah. None of them have the heart that King Size Taylor did. He did PR and, for and like Billy Zeppelin Kramer. and Floyd. Like they put out like Piper at the Gates of Dawn, the first couple Zeppelin albums, all that's in the 60s. And you're like, none of that fucking puts a candle to King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. Like, yeah, it's okay. But they had a really good cover of Money. That's what I want. Dude. Dale Roberts and the Jaywalkers, fucking the Beatles ripped them off on the cover of Abbey Road by walking across the street. But they were too yeah, scared to it, even jaywalk. They, they, went went to cross- jail. they went on the crosswalk, though, the Beatles. It's so fucking, they're so mainstream. They actually went to jail, and it was spelled G-A-O-L. Yeah. Because <laughs> they jaywalked, yeah. and the Beatles didn't actually jaywalk. They, they walked on the crosswalk. That's so fucked like up, losers. Yeah. It's like the Dale Roberts and the Jaywalkers were like actual like DIY Mercy Beat. Like that was what the scene was all about. That's what the city was all about. And the fucking Beatles mainstreamed it, walking right across the crosswalk. And somehow that's famous now. It's such bullshit. And I hate it. Dairy and the Seniors. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> it's true now. What was that? Is that band name supposed to be like high school seniors or something? Yeah, now they're probably seniors. Yeah. yeah, they're seniors. All right. You that's guys so are seniors. Lame. They should start playing again so I can say that to them. Their Wikipedia says they were the first Liverpool group to record an LP. Farron's Flamingos were an English band. In spite of having a lack of success due to poor decision making, <laughs> they remain an important part of the Mercy Beat history. I love Wikipedia articles t- written like that. It's so unprofessional. Yeah, it's so biased. They also have the <laughs> distinction of being the first exam- major example of the Mercy Motown sound with their release of Do You Love Me. I, that is too much of a the Mercy Motown sound. You're just doing a Motown cover. They made their first appearance at the Cavern in 62 with the Beatles singing Backup. I bet these motherfuckers talked about that for the rest of their lives. Like if you're Ronald Ronnie Plimmer from Farron's Flamingos, you're probably drunk as fuck in a bar in like the 1990s in Liverpool being like, the Beatles sang Backup for me, god damn it. What did they do? I can't figure out what they did. Ferenc Flamingos? Their, I don't think they did anything, yeah, really. Their lack of success with this song may have had something to do with publishing company Leeds Music pushing the other side of the single, which was See If She Cares. Writer Bill Harry and his wife Virginia were there at Oriole Studio when the group re- recorded the song. It differed from the version it differed from the version that was recorded by the contours. He said that John Schroeder asked them to go out to the street to ask some young folk to come in and dance to the recording. Some crates <laughs> of beer were also brought in. People in the studio control room were surprised and everyone thought it had chart writ hidden all, chart hit written all over it. And Schroeder said that it had the potential to top the chart. So that's that is not really like that's not even a story. Yeah, what the fuck nothing. is this? It starts out by saying that in spite of having a lack of success due to poor decision making, so it doesn't explain what, ha- what happened. Yeah, why the what fuck happened? You can't just assume that song is going to be a massive hit because some you gave some teenagers beer and they danced to it in a studio. Yeah, like why was that even? That was in a book. 
or that was on a ma- in a magazine God, or something that, that so story funny. like yeah we were there at the studio and someone brought in beer and the teens so you know it's a funny thing once there was beer involved the teens started dancing it was crazy this is going to be a number one hit it's a song there's already it's a motown song we're just going to do a cover of it you can already get the record here but we're going to do a cover of it and it's going to be awesome and one last thing is that Farron was nicknamed the Panda Footed Prince of Prance. That's pretty good. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I still want to know that. what decisions did they make? Putting out the wrong song as a single. That's what it seems like from that story. The drummer from that band was Bjork's touring drummer in the 90s. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's actually interesting. Wow. That's, I didn't realize that. Farron and the, one of the Flamingos, I guess. He actually went on to do something with himself. That's amazing. Yeah, he played on Homogenic. Wow. Man, that is, I would not have expected. I assumed that all these people never did anything after like 1962, you know? Yeah, I would never have guessed that that guy would have been playing drums with Bjork. I guess he only would have been like 40 something at the time. So that makes sense. It's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, he did. There's not really like a, a jump to it. Maybe he just knew somebody. I, I honestly good for think him. it's cooler to play on a Bjork album than a Beatles album. Oh, like for sure, yeah. Out, you know? So that's why Farron's Flamingos are much better than the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, based on that, you could probably say that they were the second best group, yeah. just in terms of what the people did. Yeah, eat your heart who out, else Jerry and the here? Pacemakers. The what fucking Jerry Remo do? 4, fuck you guys. Jerry Marsden? You know, I guess... I he guess... died in 2021. He, it, it doesn't seem like he really did much at all. Nope. He didn't play on a Bjork album. Because those guys album. didn't write their own songs. Yeah, exactly. They're they tried to make them famous because they, like, they were the guys that were around when the Beatles were around. But they didn't have any of the stuff about the Beatles that made the Beatles good. You know, I feel like we should wrap this one up, but I think people need to sound off if uh, sound off with your favorite Mark Peters and the Cyclones song or your favorite song by Carl Terry and the Cruisers. Darian and the Seniors, Steve and the Syndicate, D. Fenton and the Silhouettes, Billy Kramer and the Coasters, Dale Roberts and the Jaywalkers, Ian and the Zodiacs, the Four Js, the Undertakers, Earl Preston and the TTs. I mean, these are classic bands. I don't need to tell you guys. But who we should do one about American doo wop groups. Those had some amazing names too. Yeah, I love all the and the name. The one, the only thing I like better than and the is and his. You know, if it was D. Fenton and, and his. his Silhouettes, then they would have been successful. Yeah, that's kind of more of a jazz thing, but they should bring that back. Yeah. It's your band. These are my guys. They're my slaves. Yeah, and yeah, sound off whether Johnny Sandin and the Searchers was better than Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. Fuck Rory. Rory.